0: Do you remember the scene at the end of The Wizard of Oz when our heroes finally come to receive from the wizard the the gifts that they'd been hoping for? The scarecrow had asked for brains, the, the tin man for a heart, the lion for courage. But the way the scene plays out, these are things the wizard could never actually give them. Instead, he commends them for having these qualities all along. He simply decorates them. To the, to the scarecrow, he gives a diploma. To the tin man, he gives that heart necklace. And to the lion, he gives a, a badge of courage. It turns out the things that they were lacking, they were actually developing along the way. And so these characters are actually models of wisdom and love and courage, so much more than they ever knew. Well, as we close out the second chapter of Philippians today, we're going to be encouraged by a few models of faith. Up to this point in the letter, the Apostle Paul, he has prayed for the Philippians, he has encouraged them, he's pointed them to Jesus, he's given them some very strong commands. Well, right now, in the middle of chapter 2, Paul takes a moment to do what we might consider housekeeping he steps away from some of these points of emphasis uh, in the way he writes, but he's actually reinforcing them. He's talking about his plans as to what he hopes to accomplish. He wants to send to the church uh, a man named Epaphroditus and then a man named Timothy, and hopefully Paul will then come to visit Philippi himself. The The letter at this point is actually reading more like a traditional letter. It's almost like a... a um, a letter that we would send to our friends at Christmas giving an update on our family, that kind of thing. But he's not just doing housekeeping and travel plans. Paul is affirming, he is making more concrete all the things he's been telling us up to this point. He's just using real flesh and blood people as the examples, as the model for what he wants the church to become. And so he's holding up some real-life examples that, for us, ought to be a great encouragement. Sometimes when we read the Scripture, we might be prone to think, gosh, that seems so far away from me. That seems so uh, untouchable, what's being taught, what's being commanded. Uh, we, we've all felt that way, and that's why Scriptures like this can be so very helpful, because we see real people in action, exhibiting the heart, the character, the activity of Christianity. And so uh, I hope that you're encouraged along with me today as we we look at this scripture, the last half of Philippians 2. Beginning in verse 19, we're just going to read through the rest of the chapter because it all fits in one piece together. Look with me at verse 19 and what follows. Paul says, But I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, speaking of Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Uh, That's a mouthful. That's a long scripture for one sermon. But you see how it all fits together. Paul speaks of two men uh, in particular, and he upholds them as models of Christian uh, thinking and heart and behavior, right? So here's what's happening Paul is going to send some people to Philippi. First, Epaphroditus, who is the Philippian man that came to visit Paul in prison and bring a financial gift to Paul from the church. Epaphroditus is the messenger who brought the money. To Paul and to check in on him there in Rome and so first Paul is going to send Epaphroditus back home with this letter that Paul is presently writing. He's going to deliver the letter of the Philippians to the church in Philippi. Then Paul plans to send Timothy to Philippi to check in on them and to encourage them and then report back to Paul about their condition and finally Paul expects to be released from prison in Rome He's going to visit Philippi himself. That's his plan. That's the practical side of what's going on in this scripture. But we see what Paul is actually doing in the midst of all the details. He's not just booking flights here and passing on itineraries. He's commending the true Christian character of these men in hopes that the church will imitate them. Look again at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child, serving his father. Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon because I have no one else like him no one else of true kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about you and how you're doing now if you go back to the very beginning of the letter chapter 1 verse 1 we notice that Paul starts the letter like this he introduces Paul and Timothy bondservants of Christ Jesus. That's interesting because Timothy didn't help write the letter. As far as we know, Paul wrote every word, but Paul credits them together, and now we see why. Timothy shares the heart of Christ for these people, for this church. Back in chapter 1, Paul says, I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, now we realize Paul was not alone in that feeling, in that love and longing. Timothy was right there with him. He cared in the same way. That's why Paul says, I have no one else quite like Timothy who shares the same spirit I have. Well, why not? And Paul explains, and this is a lamentable verse, verse 21, but it's also one that's, that's I hope, edifying. We'll see why. Verse 21. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Uh, Paul, is, Paul is holding Timothy up as a model, an example, of something that Paul has already commanded us to be about. Earlier in this very same chapter, back in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul gives this command, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So, at one level, Paul is sending Timothy because he's a model of what Paul wants the church to become. You know his proven worth, right? But I also want, I want us to see something that, frankly, I have always missed. I've never seen it before until I began to prepare for this message. There's a parallel going on in what we just quoted, verse 4, and what we're studying today, verse 21. And I'm going to put it up on the screen for us to see it. Verse 4, the command, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interest of others, okay? But now look at verse 21 and look at the parallel. They all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Now this parallel is intentional. No question about it. Timothy is genuinely concerned for the Philippians. He loves them. He wants to see Jesus glorified in them. He cares more about them than he cares about himself. I think that's clear from Paul's commendation. And therefore, Timothy is fulfilling the interests of Christ. That's the parallel language. We could say it like this. To be others-centered is to be Christ-centered. That's... It's a, ref, it's a perfect reflection of the heart of Christ that's shown to us throughout this chapter. Y'all, the, the ambition for Jesus, Jesus's ambition for your life, is more than just your own personal devotion and your own personal holiness, important as those things are. God's ambition for you is to fix your heart on others' God does not merely want you to be the best possible version of yourself. God wants to turn you outward. God's desire is to make me and to make you more like Timothy, a person who does not merely look out for his own interests, but he pours himself out for others, and therefore he is interested in the things of Jesus. He has a heart and mind like Christ. See, that's who Jesus is. That's what we studied Two weeks ago, verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2, the great uh, statement about the humility, the pouring out of Jesus and dying on the cross for our sins. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was others-centered. He was, he is. That's what he's about. That's what this chapter's about. Humbly emptying myself for your sake. That is the interest. That's the focus of a person who truly knows and follows Jesus. Now, what if Paul had said, I, "You know, I'm going to send Timothy over to y'all because he's a nice kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's a great note taker. He can lift heavy things if you guys need rearranging." It, it, Paul's concern is not practical here. He's not just attending to practical needs. No, I'm sending Timothy. As one who has proven himself as committed to the gospel and committed to the interests of Christ therefore he is committed to you he loves you I have no one else like him that's why Timothy is going to Philippi because of his character because of his heart his Christ likeness now I I'm going to ask us a question, not to shame us, just to sober us. Because it's the question I've got to ask of myself. If Paul were somehow right here among us today, and he were going to choose somebody to send, who would Paul send? Who among us fits the description like Timothy does? A person of proven worth in loving others more than himself putting their interests above his own, faithfully serving the furtherance of the gospel. Who fits the bill? I'm I'm not raising my hand. I want it to be true of me, but who actually fits that description among us? The question here is, if that doesn't fit me, if that's not true of me, why not? What is it that I've missed, perhaps, along the way? It's a sobering question. Uh, Why am I not more like Timothy? Now, hold on to that, because we're going to circle back around and and finish with prayer about this. Um, But let's not just shrug our shoulders. Uh, Let's take to heart the model being given to us. Uh, Paul wants us to be like Timothy. Timothy. And not just Timothy. I'm going to send Timothy to you, yes, but look at verse 25. Even more urgently, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not only... Uh, not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow, not only being in prison, but now also mourning the death of his brother in Christ. Uh, Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. I mentioned this a moment ago. Epaphroditus is the messenger who came from Philippi to visit Paul in Rome to deliver money to Paul that the Philippian church had collected for his needs. They were sending an offering. Epaphroditus was the carrier, the messenger. Paul calls this man his brother, his fellow worker, and his fellow soldier. That's worth putting on your tombstone right there. Isn't that an awesome statement? If the Apostle Paul considers you that way. But Epaphroditus gets sick. Uh, Somewhere during his travel or when he was in Rome, he gets sick to the point of death. He gets very sick. And it's caused a lot of worry back home. They got word of his sickness and they're concerned. But God heals him. And now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi Letter in hand, this very letter he is writing, Paul's going to wrap it up, seal it, hand it to Epaphroditus, and send him back home. Now, it would seem that Epaphroditus would not need any commendation from Paul. Clearly, the Philippians already know him, and clearly they esteem him, they trust him, they trusted him enough to hand him this money and send him to Rome to minister to Paul's need. But again, Paul is, Paul is not just celebrating Epaphroditus. He's holding him up as a model for the church. He's telling the church, I want you to be like him. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Hold in high regard People like Epaphroditus honor men and women who treat the work of Christ as more precious than life itself, of greater value than anything else. Esteem those who would be willing to lose their lives for the sake of others. See, in both cases, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these are people whose lives are pointing to Christ. Paul commends these men. He compliments their character. He is high on these two guys. But he's not using them as as mere examples in and of themselves. What Paul is trying to communicate is, these guys exemplify what I've been praying for you to become, what I'm commanding you to become. They have so fixed their hearts, their lives, their minds on Jesus Christ that it shows now in their heart, their life, their character. And so Paul, really what Paul is doing, he's saying Timothy and Epaphroditus are pointing you guys more and more to Christ. That's the ultimate goal. See, it was Jesus who humbled himself, not looking out for his own interests, but the interests of others, specifically us, sinners. It was Jesus who so loved others that he willingly laid down his life To save us. He didn't risk his life. He gave his life. He didn't come close to death. Jesus died on the cross for us. And now, Paul says, here are two men who by faith in this Jesus have now come to adopt the heart of Jesus. They are living it out. They're the real deal. If you follow them, you'll become more like." him more like Christ what an awesome commendation there are two points of application uh, in all of this always more than two but two for the sake of brevity (laughs) okay Uh, first y'all let's be great at showing honor you notice how Paul commends these two men don't you think it would be a temptation for Paul to want more honor for himself. I mean, he's the apostle. He's the big dog. He's the one writing the letter. He's the one suffering the most right now, locked up in prison. Wouldn't Paul want some of that honor for himself? Wouldn't he be slow to to make a big deal out of others? No. He is effusive in his in his praise for these guys. Paul isn't worried about losing honor for himself. Because it's not about Paul. It was never about Paul in the first place. And really, truly, it's not even about Timothy and Epaphroditus. The honor comes because these men are devoted to the Lord and the Lord's mission and the Lord's people. Paul has nothing to lose here by puffing these guys up to the Philippians. He's got nothing to lose by pointing the the spotlight on them because ultimately it's about Christ. It's about Christ's likeness And these men are doing everything in their power to shine a light on Jesus and the way they live. So Paul is happy to honor them. And we ought to be the same. We ought to have our radar up, y'all, looking for opportunity to honor, to celebrate, to encourage, to affirm. Where we see selflessness and service and generosity and sacrifice and humility and devotion and honesty and so forth we ought to be quick to hold people like that in high regard. Not for the sake of puffing them up and giving them a big head and making much of them, but because ultimately we're pointing to Jesus. Anytime somebody at Harvest Church exhibits the heart of Christ, it's like a little flame that leads to a great bonfire. That's what we are, little matchsticks that lead to a great raging fire that is Jesus. Our lives are giving glory to him. We are adorning the gospel. We're living for Christ to honor, for us to honor Christ's likeness when we see it is ultimately to honor Christ. And the church is meant to do this regularly. I think sometimes we're afraid to show honor because we're afraid of becoming worldly and we're making it too much about people. Y'all, that's possible, sure, but I'm not worried about that. If we're pointing to people as they honor Christ, then we're ultimately pointing to Christ. That's what Paul's doing, and we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should do that uh, diligently, consistently. Let's be on the lookout. Don't be afraid to honor people. Um, Outdo one another in honor, Paul has told us. But then secondly, and this is the bigger takeaway, stoking in our hearts our desire to be more like these guys. We ought to want to be like the models that we're being given. And it goes without saying, of course, that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, all three, were sinners. We're not deifying these guys. We're not worshiping them. But again... Matchsticks that lead to the fire of Jesus Christ, the great bright light of Jesus. We're being given models along the way. There's tremendous value in people who model for us what Christianity is meant to look like. And so let's ask the question of these three men. How did Timothy become so genuinely concerned for the welfare of others? How does that happen? How did he become so committed to serving Jesus and the furthering of the gospel? How did Epaphroditus become so tender-hearted and so courageous, enough to risk his own life for the sake of Jesus and for Paul and the church? How did Paul become so devoted to seeing others thrive and succeed even while he sat in obscurity in prison? How does that happen? How do we become like that? Y'all, there are a lot of contributing factors at work. There's not just one single answer to those questions. But I want to offer us one overarching answer for today because it's the theme of the letter of Philippians. Y'all, the answer to how we become like that is joy. Joy. What do you mean? Well, in two short chapters so far, the letter. the Philippians, in just two chapters, Paul has spoken of joy at least seven times. It continually comes up, and it comes up in strange ways, not always what we would expect. Paul's reasons for joy are really interesting. He has joy in his suffering. That's interesting. That doesn't make sense. He has joy because the gospel is being preached even while he sits in prison. He has joy in his prayers. He has joy whether in life or in death. He's not concerned about his life and longevity. He's joyful either way. He has joy in his fellowship with the Philippian church, even though they're 800 miles apart. Isn't that fascinating? Where does all that joy come from? How how does that joy manifest in so many different ways? Well, Paul makes it clear that his joy has one common source. It all comes down to one thing. And he tells us later in chapter 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. That's the common thread. That's the the ultimate source of all his various manifestations of joy. It's in the Lord. That's where his joy is coming from, and that's why it spills out in every area of his life. Y'all listen. It's very easy for us to adopt a version of Christianity that says, I believe in Jesus and I try to be a good person and I serve others, sure, because that's the right thing to do. That sounds pretty noble, right? And at least here in the South, that's a perfectly acceptable form of faith. I believe in Jesus, I try to be good, and I, I serve, I do good things because that's what's Right? But there's no joy in that, is there? That's not the heart of a person who is truly enraptured with the love of Jesus. I want you to think about it again uh, from this angle. How do you explain the actions of men like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? How do you explain them? That these guys were just doing the right things? That they were just fulfilling their duty? No. These men had encountered Christ in a real way, not in a stale, surface-level, religious kind of way, but they had entered into relationship with God through the grace of Jesus and the supreme worth of Jesus reoriented everything. For them to know Christ, to know the depth of their lostness and sin, and the greatness of God's sacrifice in sending his Son, and the free gift of this grace for all eternity, for them to know that, truly changed them. There was for them no surface-level religion, No doing things just because they were the right things to do. No, y'all, when we read this letter, it should be very obvious. What drove these men was not duty, but joy. Duty will serve others because it's right. But joy will sacrifice for others in love. Do we see the difference? Duty will do the right thing because it's the right thing, and that's good. But joy will go above and beyond. Joy will sacrifice out of love. Duty will push us through some difficult times, perhaps, grit our teeth and get through them. But joy, joy actually conquers suffering and difficulty because our joy is rooted in Christ. And and what we have in Christ cannot be taken away from us, no matter how bad things get. That's the difference. And now, next week, hold on, because next week we're going to see a a fuller picture, perhaps the best picture in all the Bible, of this point, of how the human heart is turned from self-interest to Christ-centered joy. Next week is so important for us. It's going to be a continuation of this. But for now, as we close, for now, I want us to pray for what we all in our hearts know that we lack. I don't want us just to pray that we'll be better Christians. Oh, I want to be more like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Well, of course we do. That's a good desire. But we ought to get down to the roots. What is it about these men that caused them to love so extravagantly, to risk so valiantly, to suffer courageously, and to um, to live so selflessly. It was the joy of Christ in them. Certainly that was true for Paul, because he tells us over and again that God would manifest that in us. Such a heart that risk and, and humility and serving, that those kind of things for Christ, we wouldn't have to think about it. We wouldn't weigh the costs and benefits. We would just do it because Christ is our supreme treasure and our joy in him is so rich and full. What could we possibly lose in giving everything for him, in loving like him? Now, there's there's nothing we've read today. I hope you see this. There's nothing we've read today that, that's somehow beyond our reach that we cannot take on for ourselves. We re, We're reading the stories of men, sinners saved by grace, just as we are. We can do this, provided that we're willing to jump into the deep end. We cannot be content with nice, dutiful religion when there is a life-changing joy that comes from a Savior who has laid down his life for us. And so let's just, let's pray for this. Let's pray that God would manifest the kind of joy in us as we look to Jesus Christ. That we would become more like him, more like Timothy, more like Epaphroditus and Paul, yes. But in following them, we're really becoming like Christ. Let's pray for that together. Father, what a gift it is to look to you as one who showed us how deep and rich your love is. Your love manifested itself, you proved it, you demonstrated your love, your grace, your mercy. By sending your son Jesus To be the atoning sacrifice for our sins That we Looking to him in faith Trusting him for righteousness And salvation That we would be eternally yours Saved, forgiven And changed Father give us that faith Give us that joy that the more we look to Christ, we're not just adding him in to the rest of what we've got going on in our lives. But that we are totally transformed, that we are turned around. That because of Christ, because of the, the, the sweetness of Jesus, because of the joy we have in Jesus Christ, we now look at others with a new love we now look at serving in a new way. Serving is not taking away from us. Serving is a a privilege, it's a joy, it's a gain for us. And therefore, we can be genuinely concerned for the good of others and not just ourselves. We would make this true of our hearts, that we would risk everything for you if it came to it. Because our joy in you cannot be taken away. We can't lose anything. It's of true eternal value. Father, give us uh, such a heart that we see you in this way. And thank you, Lord, for models of this kind of faith. Thank you for men like Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul. Thank you for men and women in our lives, people that we have personally known, who have shown forth the light, the love, the courage, the humility of Jesus to show us what it's like. Lord, give us hearts to esteem them, to hold them in high regard, to follow after them. Ultimately, Lord, that we might be more like our Savior. And Father, give us such a heart that we would become the models and that we wouldn't even know it. We wouldn't even think about it. We certainly wouldn't boast in it. But that we would just become the kind of people over time that others would look to and say, I want to grow like that. I want to be like that. I want to love like that and serve like that. Father, make us the models that we might be disciple makers uh, to others and to the next generation. Father, what a privilege this is. Give us grace to pursue you by faith, seeing all that you've done and all that you are, Lord. Give us joy um, that just drives us uh, to the great, big, bright, shining light of Jesus Christ and make us a little matchstick that leads uh, to the bonfire that leads to Christ and give us the heart that we might lead others along the way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.